Good morning and welcome to the Preventing Grace podcast. It is March 13th and it's very gray day to match daylight savings. Is it daylight savings or? Or wait, wait, what is this? The ending of DST. I don't know, but I'm so angry. It's hard for yeah. me to cope. I hate I I don't know why. We've talked about this before. I, I think we just talk about it every There's year. actually legislation to, to end this. But it never, it never goes past the house. Yeah. But the we're talking about the moving of the hours forward. This is the 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 the, the one that happened over the weekend was the worst though because you move an hour forward and you lose an hour of sleep and for some reason that's okay because it's on a Saturday night. Which I, no, it's not okay because next morning is Sunday and people don't come to church. It should be. I mean, also like even if you hate God, you should do it on a Friday night because right people need two days of the weekend to get, get over, over their the... jet lag, basically, basically getting jet lag from it. And I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. I remember years ago blogging about some person who's like, okay, get your kids ready for, for the end of DST. So, um, a month out, start going to bed half an hour earlier and then, you know, there was like this long yeah. listicle of ways to mitigate it for babies, which was all complete garbage. Like you cannot adjust randomly everybody's hours twice a year. And if you have young children, it's just miserable no matter how much you prepare for it. So you're just groggy for a week. And then also old people <laughs> and animals yeah, and commuters and people who work. It, it and just men make and any women. Sense. Why would you do that? I don't understand. <laughs> and because, like, I guess we have are... so much technology, it's not like we don't have electric light. I know maybe when we have rolling blackouts, we're going to really be happy about moving the hours around so that we have more daylight. Sure. But right now, the grid hasn't failed. So, just like this little bit of time before the grid fails, we should just cancel moving of the hours. Yeah, I don't understand. So, so maybe, maybe this time people will have had it. And they'll demand. No, it's never going to happen. This is like, this is how, this is one of those things. Everybody hates something. Well, the problem is that not everybody hates it. There's some person out there. There's some. No, there are. There are people who say, well, if we don't change the hours during the winter so that you have darkness at 4 p.m., then the children will have to go to bed, go to their buses at in, in pitch darkness. Okay, so here's the thing. Just get rid of the schools. That's also... Or they can... I mean, hey, how about have school start at 9? Yeah. That's during yeah. the... Instead of moving everyone's sleep around, why not say school will now start at 9 a.m.? And because that's better. Children need more sleep, too. Yeah. Like, we're all hearing, we've been all told by our doctors and the internet that sleep is the most critical thing. I know this because I saw one of my doctors and this week this last week and uh you know i'm describing my life and they every doctor is like nodding sadly like well it's just really the most important thing is sleep i always want to ball up my fist like jerk an hour out from under you yeah you sure lady i'll just sleep that's i'll just like all people who don't sleep i'll just do that i'll just try harder i'll do better so, you know, then you describe your sleep hygiene. 
<laughs> you you have to have good sleep hygiene when you're you know elderly 46 or whatever and then you you, you don't sleep the, anyway a drop of a hat and and since and then, our now we're just complaining since yeah. our since our two of our children are staying with that you're at my in-laws your parents house so what that means though is that we have a dog with us every night because yeah the dog can't sleep alone the dog used to sleep with our son who is now taking care of the other house five ca four cats right right so then they had to move over there so that the cats could sleep on them no animal can sleep alone no, no. there's no the animal name. that can ever sleep <laughs> and it's okay because this I mean it's fine i guess this dog is very small but then the bun the bunter dog gets like our other son wakes up at six now to work out which is great i'm glad he's doing that but then bunter his dog he's massive this massive fat dog has to come and lay on our bed too and the cat who already lays on you so we have like one small dog a massive dog a cat it's just horrible it's not what i expected when i got married at all this is this is not this is not what i expected as a young man so i can't wait to get married yeah, they, they tell you you should get married because, you know, marriage will solve a lot of your ills, which is true. It does help some things, but sleeping through the time change isn't one of them. Yeah. So here's a good reason to stay single. Just if you want to be able to easily adjust your hours, don't live with other people at all of any kind. <laughs> Don't have infants. Yeah. Certainly don't have infants. Live alone. Live alone. It's the only way to be happy. <laughs> Which is the point of life anyway. If you're not happy, you're not even alive. So <laughs> um, that's basically I've said everything I had to say on this podcast today. No, we, we, uh, so, we, no, we have, uh, we have a good like? 40 minutes you, to go. What yeah, would you like <laughs> to talk about? I could keep talking about DST for a while, but I won't do that. I I did get a, I got out the seed catalog. It's kind of late to order. I feel we like, usually have plants already in the in the window by now. Yeah, I just haven't been able to. What's wrong with you? Deal. I'm I'm really overwhelmed. I'm profoundly overwhelmed. So, I haven't done that. I think I'm just gonna have to go to the grocery store because I think it's too late to order from the catalog. I think if you're gonna do that, you have to do it before Christmas or something. Don't we so, want nice seeds though? Yeah, we probably do, but the grocery store won't give you nice seeds. Well, sometimes they do. We have to go to Argomax or whatever the place. <laughs> Argomax. Right. Yeah. Well, so I know I could I could enumerate my many failures for the podcast. Um it in detail how I've managed not to do the things that I was planning to do. But that doesn't seem very funny either. What did you want to talk about today? I mean, there's lots. There's a whole bunch of things to talk about. We talk about David French deciding that mutilating children is actually a good thing, <laughs> a blessing of liberty. Um, <laughs> we could talk about. We could talk about mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, John MacArthur and his coming back to the. I mean, the, he's not really coming back into the pulpit. No, so he's 83, I think. And he, in, in January, 
Yeah, he's not retired. If you don't know John MacArthur is, he's a pretty well-known, very well-known preacher in California uh, who's been preaching for many years. 70 years or something? No, no. Yeah, I mean, close. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he, he's preached all the way through the New Testament um, in, his, in his church, uh, Grace Community Church. And in January, he had a, I don't know, sure it was a heart attack or something with his heart on Sunday morning after he preached the first service and he couldn't preach the next services. And he's been out since then. And he hosts this conference called the shepherd's conference every year. And this year, you know, people were wondering whether he was even going to be able to, to be there. And he was there and he did a, a session, uh, interview session but he also preached a sermon at the end for uh, it was a it was an hour and oh my gosh an hour and something odd minutes it was on on the on the book of zechariah or at least the last two chapters of zechariah that's what it was um and it was sad because you know his, his voice was weaker than it ever has been he's got a big bruise on his head because he fell down he's got a broken broken hand and wrist i think it was um, but his mind was clear. I mean, his mind's very sharp still, and his yeah, he's still John MacArthur. I just, I, I feel like maybe it's controversial to say this. Sometimes people should retire. <clears throat> I thought that John Piper should have retired totally from life, um, especially from Twitter. I can see why. I mean, I can see myself not wanting to retire. I know. I can also say that. That's why I can also see that. That's why I'm, I can see you not wanting to retire. And I think that. Just one more sermon. Just one more sermon. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I, I mean, I know R.C. Sproul didn't really retire. No. But he was much younger. I mean, preaching is not like, you know, working in a factory. I mean, yes, if, if John MacArthur were a factory worker, I'd say you better, you know take some time off for your body because you're going to you're hurting yourself but you know if he can preach he can preach i mean he's still a good preacher so why would you why would you not do it if you can do it so that your family doesn't get really really mad at you <laughs> i'm sure that he's i do is... i feel like there's got to be a a midway point between uh not ever retiring or letting other people do your job and the um, going into retirement at fifty and like living on your yacht. <laughs> I mean, I feel yeah, like there's kind yeah. of a, a tension there. There's a middle ground, perhaps, where you could continue to do productive yeah. work into your old age and build up the church. Um, but letting other people go in and have younger people do things could be helpful, or not. Maybe not. I don't want to be. I don't want to be weird or anything. Well, so. I was very happy that I don't know. I, that he's. I, I mentioned on Twitter. He's had a huge impact on my preaching. I, I don't. Um, there's like. I mean, I'm, there's lots of disagreements that I have with him on secondary things like uh, eschatology. Like I think he was. I haven't heard this this sermon that he preached at the Shepherd's Conference yet, but I think it was. Uh, defending his uh, pre-tribulation, pre-millennial view, but I'll—I I haven't listened to it yet, so I don't know. 
Um, so I disagree with him about that. And I think sometimes, you know, sometimes the, 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 the distinction between law and gospel gets, I, I feel like it gets blurred a little bit. And that's, that's really, I think it's because he has, uh, he was at the forefront of the debate over cheap grace, the, the Lordship salvation controversy where he was kind of, you know, he was responding to the idea that just saying, you know, the, the sinner's prayer or just, just uh, walking forward and signing a, a statement of faith, you know, kind of put God under obligation to save you. You can, you could live however you wanted. As long as you said the sinner's prayer, you were always, you, you're fine. And John MacArthur said, "No, you, you you have to receive Jesus as Lord, and and that not not just as not just as someone who forgives your sins, but also as someone who is your is your Lord and Master, and and that's true." Um, but receiving somebody as Lord began to be kind of a weird. Some people make, th- yeah. like making Jesus Lord of your life. Well, no, but he didn't say that. He okay. didn't. He was he was never saying making. He said he would always say Jesus is your Lord. <laughs> you don't make him Lord, whether right. you know it or so not. That, that that language comes from the other side. They say you, you you at first you 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 accept Jesus as your savior first, but then later on you get to make a decision to make Jesus Lord of your life. And no, no, that you don't. You either receive Jesus as Lord or you don't receive Him at all. Um, and um, but you know, and I, this isn't really John MacArthur's thing. I mean, it's not really John MacArthur's fault. This I think within more sometimes more reformed people who are influenced by the Puritans. Uh, do sometimes tend to blur a little bit the boundary between law and gospel. And so it's not just, it's not unique to him. That's, that's kind of a critique that Anglican Anglicans and Lutherans might have to the more, the more Puritan side of the reformed camp. But so, but aside from that, he's just a great, he he was a great, he's a great preacher and he taught me to preach basically listening to him because I didn't have anybody. We didn't have any training in expositional preaching in Episcopalian seminary. I think we had good, preaching training in one sense and that's that a sermon and Mark MacArthur always do, does this. Um, this is this, a big fat dog breathing right now. The, <laughs> the sermon does need to have a narrative form in like your exposition needs to have an, a story arc to it. You can't just that's one thing. It's not it's not a, it's not a commentary. Right. So you, right. Could, you could you could you could preach in such a way that your sermon is just commentary, and that's not helpful to anybody. Your sermon's not. Your sermon is a is a it's a different form of speech than it's a a lecture. It's an event. It's a it's a it's part of the sacramental event, and it can't just be a yeah a. So it needs, to have a, it needs to have a, a place that it's going. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, MacArthur did that. He, he, his sermons yeah. have a, have that. And he's uh, just a fantastic preacher. And so, so, so my favorite, the MacArthur sermon that helped me the most, <laughs> I listened to him through a couple of books um, many years ago. And then I, I'm not as devoted to listening to sermons as you are. I don't listen to 15 sermons a week or whatever. It's hard for me to remember to go in and, you know, click through many sermons. The sermon series lately that really helped me was um, Kevin DeYoung's Genesis series. That was fantastic. Yeah, that was really 
Um, but years ago, I was having a really hard time with the question of heaven and hell. And this is very, this is very much God using means that you would not probably even say to yourself, I really value this. So I was with some, I was sort of, um, I don't know. I don't want to use a word Christiany, a weird Christianese word. I had a friend who I was often talking about God with. And as that relationship went on, she became more and more hardened against the gospel. And I was just, I prayed desperately for her during that period. Mm. And I, I really wanted her to believe. And the more that I prayed and the more that she heard about Jesus, the harder and angrier she became. And I was in psychic pain over that. I was really upset. I just did not understand why God would do that. And, uh, and I didn't even well, God often wouldn't do, wouldn't break through that. Through right. Area. Well, I, it just seemed like the more she heard, the harder it seemed like God was doing something, but God was doing the exact thing that I didn't want him to do. Mm. And I just, I didn't even ever bring it up after a while. Like I would never bring up the question of Jesus or the gospel or the Bible, but she would. And so it just, it became difficult. And in that period, I don't remember at all what the text was, but I heard John MacArthur talking about, I listened to him talking about how the people in heaven view the people in hell. Hmm. And it was sort of typical MacArthur. He's not emotive in the pulpit. He's not going to cry. He's not going to plead with you. He's going to tell you what he thinks the text says, which is not of a high value today, I think, for many people. But I wanted to know what the text said. And I didn't want his opinion about it. I wanted to know what the text really says. And he described in that sermon how how deeply fair and just it will be for the people who are in hell. God isn't going to do anything unjust. And the people in heaven are no longer going to be in pain. Mm -hmm. The people in hell are not going to have no power over the people in heaven to cause them pain. And this is very counterintuitive. He was like, basically, you're going to be fine with it. In fact, you're going to be happy (laughs) that God is just when you're in heaven. In a way that you cannot be happy that God is just now, you're going to be happy. Right. I I remember this. And I was shocked at first, like, this is terrible. This is not the answer that I wanted at all. But it really put some things in place for me. And I was able to pray for my friend in a better way. And when she did not want to believe, I was able to let her go into God's hands and continue to pray for her, but not with um, this roiling anger against God, which wasn't helpful. Yeah. Um, And that's the kind of sermons, that's the kind of preaching I think that was so is is really helpful, but it is not the preaching that this particular cultural climate desires. Mm-hmm. And so that's yeah. it's, it's sort of, I don't know, right. it's also a lament that that's 
his preaching does does put categories in place and furniture and biblical knowledge puts the text into perspective it rebukes builds up exhorts um but those are not the things that many people want to hear anymore from the pulpit and so yeah no, i I remember and this is i said on twitter that wanting to have i mean i wanted good shepherd people to have access to the text to have access to the, the, the bible and i wasn't trained to do that um and so listening to him i thought oh this is how you do it you 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 open up a text you go verse by verse you help people see what god's saying but but really you his preaching is get out of the way basically and let god's word do the work of of whatever god's going to do and, and and that's that's the great benefit of expositional preaching is if you're doing it right it's it's the scriptures that do the persuading it's the scriptures that do the the drawing and the either hardening or convicting and and you don't have to do anything that's not, whereas with other types of preaching it really is it, it seems to be your task to persuade the listener your task to 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 move the heart to repentance it's your task to uh persuade somebody about a certain theological doctrine but that's why you said you said that he was the one who sort of put into place the word has power you have to trust the scriptures yeah and that's almost an impossible task how can you because you don't know what they say The modern, the most most evangelicals don't know what the text says. They don't know what they're rejecting or reacting to because they don't understand the deep logic of the text. It hasn't right. informed them. But weirdly enough, because of that, that trusting of the scriptures to be sufficient helped me bridge, which I don't think he would accept either, the sacramental nature of preaching and how it is and it's I don't like, think he would use that language, but I think he agrees with it. Yeah, because power the, the God he uses, does something mysteriously, invisibly through preaching that you a, can't right. see or understand. Uh, you don't. You all might often find yourself crying in church or in a sermon without knowing what it was exactly that happened. But God did something. Right. Uh, he either hardened or he softened the heart, and um. It helped by the time I've now finally almost finishing Hans Bors by his chapter on preaching. It's like very much what I came to understand when I was listening to MacArthur all those years ago. Mm. It's so funny because I don't think he would probably appreciate Hans Bors. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he might. He might. I feel like they're the same, not exactly um, similar. No, but I remember the first time I was preaching through a. Uh, being inspired by his preaching, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to depart from the lectionary and preach through a book. I think the first book I chose was First Thessalonians. Yeah. And, you know, you come, there are sections in that book I thought, oh, are my people really going to be interested in this? Because it's, 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 there's nothing going on in the church that, really, that this really addresses. But I, you know, I'll just do it anyway. And... It's, it was really amazing to me that that's that, that you no know, the the people need to hear all of the Bible, <laughs> and even when you it's as a preacher don't know what you need what, to hear all of it. Yeah, it, 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 we, even when you as a preacher don't can't imagine why 
you would have to preach on, you know, uh, uh, Paul, you know, greeting the Thessalonians and telling them how, how he's missed them and how happy he is they're doing well. Well, you, you don't, God uses that even the, even the obscure parts of the Bible that you think are, aren't useful because you don't know enough to know what's useful. God uses. It's very, been right? very unnerving as yeah. you've preached through various books, how those, the congregation illustrated the text yeah, in yeah. between the weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you'd have something happen and then it would be in the text, not that you could ever bring it up from the pulpit, but you can be like, oh, my this word. Is hitting this, this pot. Yeah. This was very apt and yeah. weird and, and upsetting right. how we had first corinthians illustrated for us at just this moment at just this moment when Ouch. the exact same thing being talked about in first corinthians is happening right in my congregation um yeah the back to acts you know we're, we're acts chapter six we we're, we just this last sunday hit uh the, the apostles need to appoint people to do the distribution of food because the seven to distribute the food because they wanted to devote themselves to preaching. They had to do it, do it, devote themselves to preaching and to prayer. And, you know, right now we're like, we're having to restructure everything right now because we, you know, our, our, uh, our, I'm sorry, this sound, it's not me snoring or Ann snoring or grunting. It's this massive so... fat dog is right here, right next to us. And he's putting his snout right up next to the microphone. Microphone. Um, but we're just, we're kind of in a, a place of reorganizing because we, we need to, uh, to make things easier to preach and yeah, there's so much work. There's so much need. There's yeah. so many people who need the distribution of care, care <laughs> and people we're trying to support yeah. as a congregation and people who need I don't know. Of course, yeah. in this era, people's material and emotional needs are increasing, not getting less. And yeah, so there's. What? So I was thankful. I mean, I, was, I felt like we were like I felt like Good Shepherd was kind of just, uh, in a good way illustrating what the point of Acts chapter six. Yeah, we're was. not always a bad illustration. Right, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Anyway, I just it was sad. That it, I was I was really struck by his. Just, just even last year, his age never struck me. I, I, well, because he sounds the same. If yeah. you listen to a sermon from 1961 yeah. or whatever to 2015, his it's voice hasn't altered at all. <laughs> and you can't tell because he also hasn't changed. He just has been doing the same thing for like 100 years. Right. right. And so. <laughs> and so to see him get up on stage, this, or on, on, on stage, on the, up behind the pulpit this time, and his voice was weak and his body was weak it was just it was poignant um we've really lived through some we've been fortunate to be a, around for our men like rc sproul who died in 2017 he probably didn't have to die that young probably not he, he, was, <laughs> he was a he smoker he enjoyed and, his life <laughs> he enjoyed he his didn't food he didn't everything. just drink fresca <laughs> Right, but he was a great. He was, he was, great he was a giant, you know. And, and I think RC, John MacArthur is also another, another giant who's going um, to glory. But I really, 
uh, and not just and thousands of people have benefited from his ministry. Thousands of preachers have benefited from his ministry. Now I know that he's got a lot of people out there who just despise him um, because they think of him as too harsh or too. Um, they, he doesn't fit in with the sensibilities of this age yeah. for sure. And I do think that at least when we first started listening to him, there was a bit of a learning curve for me because as I was, I was literally an Episcopalian at that point. <laughs> and yeah. I had grown up with various kinds of expositional preaching, quote, expositional preaching, people working, quote, working through a text. Yeah. And a lot of people try to do that, but it's actually much harder than it appears. Right. And listening to him, you realize, oh, those, those people who are trying to do it are not actually doing it. They might just be saying the text in their own words, which is not quite the same thing. Right. They might be pulling out three points and a puppy. Um, they, they might be doing a variety of things that are sort of adjacent to it, mm -hmm, but they're mm -hmm. not quite doing it. And so to hear him do it and persistently refuse to not like he really didn't care, which again is a little bit offensive to the day, what you thought of him when he right. was preaching. He really wanted you to hear the text. And so he's straight out, um, not, uh, not making apologies, not, not making no. apologies, not very, his manner, his delivery style is also not, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's not super charismatic. He's, he's not slick. He's not slick. It's just, here's what the text says, but not as a commentary. Like right. there's an arc to it. You go from one place to another place. And if you really listen to him, you find that your categories are altered and you're changed by the text, which is one of the reasons to read the Bible. Right. And so it's a little bit alarming because it's countercultural. It's not um, intuitive by right. our intuitions now, but I, it really yeah. solidified the biblical knowledge that I had up to that point in a helpful way and helped as we headed into our, you know, difficulties, Anglican difficulties, it helped me personally trust the God that his scripture was going to carry the day was sufficient for what we were going through. Right. He would preserve and defend and care for us. And he would use the text, you know, he would do other things too, but, the text was going to be sufficient for everything. That I mean, I would say that the, the reason Good Shepherd, the, the, the majority of the people of Good Shepherd stood firm throughout the whole thing is because we were able to open the text up and say, look, here's what God says about sexuality. And so when the bishop, you know, but, but prior to prior to that, prior to that, being able to see in the text for themselves what yeah. God says about sexuality. We, it wasn't just, if it was just me against the bishop, it. it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, right. I mean, he's he's got the authority. He's the he's the bishop. Why? Who are you? You're just a young guy coming out of seminary. Yeah, you have no you have no authority. And they were right. And you really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. So the only thing that helped us in that time was being able to open up Romans one or Rome, or First Corinthians six and say, look, here's what God says. The Bible, the, the bishop is really violating. God's word. You can't do. This. And but yeah. as that was going on, the the bigger sense of it. It wasn't just, you know, proof texting those texts. 
a bigger sense of what God does in this for his people yeah was taking root people were getting to understand why knowing God was important right. on his terms and not your your ideas about what love was like the definition of love in the uh, social imaginary of our <laughs> congregation had shifted enough in a pretty short time that when the bishop came in with a different definition of love, yeah. they, even if they couldn't articulate, uh, under, intuitively understood that uh, that it was right. not the same yeah. and that he was not telling the truth about the scriptures. And that didn't take years. That was like it was very quick. two years. Yeah, it was very quick. <laughs> Which that's the only way out. Right. Like you have to know, you have to see in the text who God is and that what other people are saying is not true. Like if you can't see that, then yeah, then you're not on any kind of good ground. So it is when we lost our building, we only lost one prisoner. Um, yeah. And we and gained two that weekend. We gained two that weekend. One who, one who, I, who, who's gone on to be a, they came a, a, an Anglican pastor. Move. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was, it was just some, uh, the the that aspect of preaching is so hard to teach too. Like the the, the I, this young man who came during to our church during that time ultimately became a pastor. I trained him, and another one after him, and then I guess I've done five now, four. Um, but but you're right when you say it looks easier than it is. Yeah, it's really it's hard to very describe. Hard it's very hard to describe what John MacArthur is doing, or or, or, or how to preach expositionally. Yeah, it's not as easy as it looks. You think, oh, well, I'll just open the, the, the Bible and go verse by verse, and, and there's a lot more to it. I mean, um, one of the things that there is in it is that you have to know. You as the preacher have to have seen the deep logic of the text itself, right. and and here's the preach moment you have to have been to one degree or another transformed by that. So you, you have to have had your own self altered by the text yeah. and by studying and the, the, there's a logic to any, any pericope that you choose. There's something deep under there that, that God has for his people. Right. And you can't just sort of stand up and be like, well, this in the Episcopal way. This text is actually about me. <laughs> I'm the peacemaker. This text is about the Millennium Development Goals. Yeah, <laughs> but it also can't be that you just are like, well, I'm just going to paraphrase it in my own words. Right, right. Um, you have to tell the story, which is what like Episcopalian preaching is is that is basically. I'm going to paraphrase this text, and then I'm going to tell you what I want to tell you about politics or yeah, ideology. But I think, I mean, there's a fair amount of, on the other side, sort of conservative Bible preaching that is the same thing. It's, it's just, you know, I already know what I think about these variety of issues of the day. And so I've got a, um, I, I'm just gonna yeah work through this text and you're gonna, you know, I'm get, the text supports my views on life and godliness. And so 
back around to the what should women wear <laughs> sermon, <laughs> uh, you know, or yeah, back around yeah. to the tea. Yeah, you have. Yeah. So you can do it either way. And neither of them are you. You have to go in inside the text. And then the other thing that's really hard for people is to show your exegesis, like show the congregation in a narrative right. form how you got how the- you got there, but without drawing attention to yourself right. either. Because it's not your journey through the text, right? It's the congregation's right. journey through the. You know, it's, so it's they a, they have to be persuaded that it's a logical thing. That like the, like oh, you're saying that this is true in the Bible because there's an actual logic to the text that you've shown me. So so uh, you know we were preaching through Romans one, which I just mentioned. Why is and you say that sexual homosexual desire is a consequence of the fall in that you can just say that in a declarative way, but, but you get to, sh- if you can show it logically, how it comes through from the text, then the listener has no escape. Right? Yeah. I mean, if, if someone who doesn't want to believe it is, is left laid bare. Right. Someone who believes it, but doesn't know why believe they believe it. They're, they're, they're strengthened. Um, someone who's struggling with sexuality is convicted. Someone who, I mean, you, you just, God does all that and just one, and just working through the logic of a, of a biblical text. Now we have a cat. Now we have a cat. So we have two, two dogs and a cat. Dogs and a cat. We just Gosh. decided to wait. I, I can't tell you how too hot I am right now. <laughs> I'm hard. like deeply, I'm, I'm in the desert. I'm on fire. It's like a thousand degrees under these animals. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like sweating. She's going to take a nap. She's very tired. She's stalking around all night. She's going to, I'm going to have to rub her tummy for a while here. (laughs) Oh gosh. Um, Yeah. So there was something else I wanted to say, but I'm sorry. I interrupted you. It went out of my mind. I forgot what it was. The logic of the text. Yeah, but it was after that. Um, I can't remember. Well, I think I, I like this kind of preaching. One because it it goes you can you don't have to jettison the liturgy or the the lectionary you don't have to just be like well we're not going to read all the other readings I've, I'm always astonished how God when you when you change out the gospel or the epistle or whatever you're you're preaching through so you read all the other texts mm-hmm. and the lectionary makers have carefully picked three or four texts that go together kind of well. Yeah. But then you swap one out. God still will use the one you swapped out to Ill- support or you know work with the other. Text. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Not always, but it, it's not usually jarring. It's, and yeah, you can. And then, as you hear, you hear so much scripture read, and then the a a, a lengthy you go you work through the logic of a longer text over time your general understanding of what the whole Bible is doing is, is strengthened. And um, so you get both the macro and the micro view, right? Uh, but you don't have to stop doing the lectionary and you can re- revert back to the lectionary and yeah. seasonal moments. You, you don't have to preach on Leviticus through Christmas, at, right? On Easter Sunday, open up the Bible to Leviticus. We're going to talk about mold this morning, kids. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> I I remember what I wanted to say. Um, that is like, 
just another thing I really appreciated about and learned from from MacArthur was the uh, Bodhi Bauckham gets to this. Like when he's saying he's talking about how, how it's very common, like to hear so much apology from the pulpit right now. Like, like if someone's talking about sexuality, they might start their sermon off by saying, "Okay, I just want you to hear that, that I really, really love people who are caught up in this sin, and and it's, it's it's I don't like to talk about it because it's so difficult of a subject. But I mean, I think we just have to. And I'm sorry for anyone who's hurt or hears me." hurting you or saying anything that's it's 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 your dog and the cat are kissing each other yeah it's like it's like the eschaton is broken out here um so body so the body welcomes would you hear about that would you hear a, a preacher apologize for anything else like like let's say you know uh, mutilating puppies was part of our our cultural Religious. moment right and we, we, would, would a preacher uh would it be right for a preacher to stand up and say, I'm so sorry. If, if you mutilate puppies, I just want you to know I love you. And it's, it's, to you, you know, you, this is, this is something that we, you might disagree with me, but I just want you to hear me out. <laughs> no, I mean, you, but, but so, so the, the, the way that our, our culture goes has kind of shaped even some expositional preaching to where we, we apologize for God's word. We're like, sorry that it says what it says. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, you know, John MacArthur has never done that. I mean, he does, if he's persuaded that the text says something, he's going to tell you what it says. And he's not going to apologize for it because he sees himself as God's, you know, he's, he's, he's behind the pulpit. You are representing uh, the, the, the word of God to the people that you can't, so you can't apologize. You can't, oh, I'm so sorry that this text talks about hell. I'm so sorry that God ordered the Israelites to destroy the Canaanites. This is so bad. It's so, you, so you can't be more compassionate than God. Um, and it does seem like some people, it does seem like that now. That's just not. But the only way that's, you that's can... characteristic of John MacArthur. He never did right. that. He just always said, oh, yep. God said, destroy the Canaanites. And they did. This is good and just. And thank God that he's good and just. But here, <laughs> but like, here's the long, long discursus on how, how, how exactly it, how it just, happened. Right, 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 right. And the underlying logic of it. Yeah. And that's really difficult. Like, if you're, if you're listening to that, you're, I can say from experience, your whole being sort of vibrates both in anxiety and horror as you're listening. But what, what, but you're not, what are you going to, stand on are you are you then going to say well john macarthur's wrong or if he's worked through the text then right. you're you have the problem and that, i mean that's yeah. what was so helpful for me like it doesn't matter what john macarthur thinks about anything mm -hmm. if he has been true about the text and he hasn't allowed his emotions and his needs to cloud his work then i as a christian have to think about that Right. And deal, I have to cope, and um, and it's I right can. that he's confident about it. It's right that he's yeah. It's right that he. I mean, that was another thing that right. took me a long time to come around to. Like his confidence in the pulpit is right in the same way that when my confidence as a parent, when I tell my child to obey me, and then my child is um, upset about my call to obedience. Mm -hmm. I'm not you, the one that's you're not, wrong. You don't need to apologize. My kid, child is the one right. that's wrong. And my child needs mm -hmm. to learn how to adjust, not by mm -hmm. lying about who she is to herself, right. but 
by being transformed in the image of Christ by changing from happiness to joy about the question of obedience. Right. Like if you, if God calls you out of sin, you can be sad, but you eventually need to be happy. Like right. he's doing something good. This so is something to be thankful for. if you're, you know, struggling with sexual sin and you feel sad, you're the one that's wrong. Right. Right. And it doesn't matter if John MacArthur is the one that told you that. If the text told you right. that, you have to deal with that truth. Right. Exactly. So that's the, really hard. He's like crying in his sleep. The dog is. No, he's snoring. Oh. I mean, he's like wrapped <laughs> in here. The cat is looking at. I, I, do you I feel like, like this animals, has so. gone on long yeah, enough? We, this, this is, is becoming a an slightly podcast. shorter, but I'm really like physically and spiritually uncomfortable right now. <laughs> so, well, this was really, I hope this wasn't like a, this was a walk down memory lane, but we should continue to pray for Well, yeah, yeah, and yeah, thank them. So, yeah, thank God for him and for his ministry. And I think that um, uh, if you haven't ever listened to him, you should give him time and listen to it. I do have maybe one parting shot. I know there's so much controversy around how about the church and MacArthur and and we have not gone into it and I don't know that we ever will. But in the terms of um what aboutism, is that what this is called? Um until people are really ups more upset about like people like Carl Bard. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a selective outrage, outrage, and yeah, and yeah, also I, I'm not gonna. I don't want to get into this because I have deeply come not to trust news accounts of things, yep. and so until a while has gone by and we know really how things have gone, I'm just not prepared yeah, to really I don't listen. Trust Julie Royce or anyone. I'm a, yeah, I try, and, I, and I don't trust them. You know, you're right. Like the same people who are who are I think they're kind of grievance mongering um, of, of this whole thing are also the people who like gladly share <clears throat> David French talking about mutilating children and <laughs> how it's, you know, how it's fine under the law because we're all libertarian or something, I guess, um, or, you know, pass on KK Dumais and her uh, Marxist revolutionary writings <laughs> blithely as if it's fine, you know, so I, I just, they're, they're untrustworthy narrator, narrators for me. So I can't, I can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah. But in the meantime, being far away from all of these things and having appreciated his ministry in this way, we're really praying for him. Okay. Now the dog is quiet. I guess we'll still <laughs> stop. Strange. But thank you for listening. And maybe we'll be back next week. <laughs>